You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The book of Revelation is uh, electroshock therapy for the Christian imagination. It arouses our senses, it arrests us from our spiritual slumber. The southern novelist Flannery O'Connor famously said that to the heart of hearing you shout and for the almost blind you draw large and startling figures. Well, the book of Revelation shouts and it draws large and startling and I'll add terrifying figures. Revelation also assumes that the church can be hard of hearing and almost blind at times, and we desperately need to see and to hear. Now, for some of you who grew up in the world of the church that I did, Revelation was a kind of Nostradamus-like code book for unlocking the details of the church's rapture and second coming. And the code and the scheme of interpretation was so complicated that, that most of us in the pews left the interpretation of Revelation to the experts. If you don't know what I'm talking about, think uh, Tim LaHaye's famous Left Behind series. I was on a plane many years ago now and remember looking over at the stewardess who was enjoying her break, and wouldn't you know it, she was reading Left Behind at 30,000 feet. And I was like, not up here, ma'am, you keep that book for the ground. You know, I say all of this because Revelation can be intimidating as a book. It's open to a variety of interpretive approaches. Its images can be surreal and complex. Seven spirits, a beast with horns rising from the middle of the earth, a dragon roaming on the beach, the famous four horsemen. And because of this, the book of Revelation can be off-putting. Like, what are Philippians this morning or Revelation? I'll do Philippians. But may I suggest to you that Christians, especially in the Western world, really need the book of Revelation right now. We need the electroshock therapy of this book because our ability to see, to really see, is limited by the resources of our own physical and spiritual imaginations. We can see the surface account of things. We might be able to make assessments and even judgments about our moment and feel confident in our ability to size up the world. And Revelation as a book lets us know that our surface account of things doesn't come close to seeing reality for what it really is. In fact, Revelation exists as a book to help Christians see the world from God's perspective. To see the world from the perspective of our victorious and risen Lamb, the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, he has already conquered sin and death. In fact, the whole company of heaven worships the Lion of Judah as the one who was and is and is to come. And here's what I find so powerful about the book. It's not escapist literature, as surreal as so much of it can be. It doesn't call us to go out to the desert together, to leave what we might call normal life. 
Rather, what it does is it opens up to us the concrete day-to-day realities of our lives and our church from a heavenly perspective. Like Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, who looked out the window to see the terrifying hordes of the Assyrian army, only to have his eyes opened so that he could see the unseeable, the angelic hosts towering over the Assyrian it's ready for battle. We need to see the world from a different perspective, and we need the comfort that this perspective can give to you and to me. At its very basic level, Revelation's main purpose as a book is to comfort the church here on earth in its struggle against the forces of evil. It is a politically subversive book, and its language is here to remind us that our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus Christ and not the political powers of the day. Beware of the temptations of Rome and Babylon. Rome with its celebration of power, Babylon with its lust for pleasure. Beware of their alluring effects, church, and take note of them from a heavenly perspective where Jesus right now sits on his kingly throne. And knowing that we need God to help us see, I'd like to look this morning with you briefly at three things from the book of Revelation. Number one, Jesus walks among the churches. Now, I I use the plural here because Jesus walks among the particular churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Philadelphia, and here's the kicker. Jesus knows the particular dynamics of each of those churches. Ephesus, you've done so well in maintaining the faith and rooting out false teaching, but you've grown stale in your love toward me, Ephesus. Return to me. Smyrna, you have all the trappings of spiritual health and growth, but you're a rotted tree inside, Smyrna. Return to me. And each of these churches have their own strengths and their weaknesses, and there are seven of them, which tells us that these churches are representative of all churches even the advent. Jesus knows our strengths, our weaknesses as a church. He walks among us as our Savior and our Lord, and he calls us to repentance. He calls us to see, to really see our lives and our church and our world from a heavenly perspective. He calls us to himself, and he challenges us to rethink our ultimate loyalties, the place of our affections, and the location of all of our ultimate hopes. I recently um, watched Terrence Malick's newish film, A Hidden Life. It's a powerful and beautiful film set in Nazi Germany about a simple country vicar who lived in the Austrian Alps with his wife and his three little girls. And as time moves on, the vicar recognizes that he cannot, in good conscience, take the oath of loyalty to Hitler. Eventually, he's arrested, and he's sentenced to death. And the movie doesn't let you off the hook by presenting his decision in purely heroic terms. You see the suffering of his wife. You recognize the vulnerability of his children. 
You watch the townspeople turn on him and his family. You hear his lawyer and even his priest superior tell him that what he has to lose is greater than this simple act of faithfulness. No one will know a thing about what you've done, they whisper in his ear. Do you think you can change the course of this war? And you hear throughout the movie his inner thoughts as he prays and as he struggles. And eventually, in a climactic scene, you hear his wife say to him in prison, you follow God's call on you no matter the cost. What's his name, this vicar? We do not know. But this man saw life from God's perspective, from heaven's perspective, and he moved toward death for Christ. And the movie ends with this haunting and yet hopeful music and then a black screen with a quote from the final sentences of George Eliot's Middle March. And here they are. For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Do not fear those, Jesus tells us, who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill the soul. Number two. Heaven and earth worship Christ as the victor right now. Now, I I realize this is kind of Christianity 101, but the seeing eyes that God wants us to have is from the standpoint of Christ's total victory over sin and death and the kingdoms of this world that stand against him. Heaven and earth are not one yet. We feel the tension that this leaves us in. But from heaven's perspective, and if you heard the reading this morning, you could pick it up. From heaven's perspective, it is done. It is finished. The angelic hosts know this is true. The company of the martyrs around the throne of God know this is true. And even the evil one knows that his time is limited. My tendency, and I think maybe yours as well, is to see the world in in strictly material terms. We see the physical realities that are set before us. But Jesus, this morning, from the book of Revelation, wants us to see the world from the perspective of his total victory over evil and death. And where this world embraces evil and embraces death as a matter of course, Christians must graciously and courageously resist. As Martin Luther hymned, Let good and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And lastly, the joys of heaven are incomparable to the sorrows that we experience here on earth. And that's the reading that we heard read so beautifully this morning. Jonathan Edwards describes heaven as a world of love. Robert Jensen describes heaven as ceaseless music. Words fail us. Speech gives way to silence. Grief will give way to glee as heaven and earth become one. A holy city, a new Jerusalem, The glory of God's presence among us forever. His shining face will bring with it the perpetual warmth of spring. It will never fade. 
The sea will never threaten us again. Chaos cannot overtake us. The rivers will clap their hands. The trees will extend their praise. The mountains will shout forth his glory. No more tears, no more death, no more heaving sobs over lifeless bodies, pain and sorrow, loss, grief and death, no more. All of that's passed away. All of that melts away before the beaming light and warmth of our glorious King, our King who promised us this morning that he's making everything new. We need to see, friends, more clearly. The days are coming, if they are not already on us, when we as individuals will have to ask ourselves some very hard questions about where our ultimate loyalties rest. And Jesus walks among the churches. Jesus walks among our church, even this morning, calling us back to him, calling us to singleness of devotion to him, calling us to see the world the way he sees it as our risen and conquering lamb, calling us to live with eternity before us because from heaven's perspective, eternity is now. The pictures of Revelation are large and startling, and we need them so that we can be able to see. We pray together this morning, Lord Jesus, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.